Welcome to Great Commission Conversations, a program where we engage in conversation with Bible-believing Christian workers who are serious about getting the gospel around the world. I'm Lee Cadenhead, an assistant pastor at Cornerstone Baptist Church in Carthage, Tennessee, and your host for this Great Commission Conversation. It's not uncommon in the course of these conversations for us to note the fashion in which God uniquely prepares His servants for their life's work and missions long before that work actually begins. That's certainly true for my guest today. Today on Great Commission Conversations, I welcome missionary Eddie Mills. Long before Brother Mills had missions in his heart, God would use his military experience to prepare him for interacting with high-level government officials as well as coordinating educational programs. Saved in his youth and called to preach in his early 20s as an Air Force enlistee, Brother Mills would eventually go from serving in the juvenile detention centers of Montgomery, Alabama, to coordinating teams of English teachers in Hainan, China, where he's been used of the Lord to start several churches, most of which are currently being pastored by Chinese nationals whom the Lord allowed Brother Mills to train. Teaching English as a second language, or ESL as it's usually called, is probably the most common means that most American missionaries utilize to gain legal permission to live and work in China. It's no different for Brother Mills, but the ESL platform has afforded him a rare opportunity, not simply to work around the Chinese government, but with the Chinese government, not only to personally carry on gospel work in China, but to give scores of American Christian young people the opportunity to export their English language skills and their Christianity to the most populous country on earth. China may be formally closed to foreign missionaries in keeping with its atheistic, communistic governing values, but that doesn't mean that there aren't some open doors for American Christians to make a difference in communist China. Sometimes the Lord will swing those doors wide open for a season in a manner that is uniquely providential. Such is the case with Eddie Mills and the International Education Exchange Association in Hainan, China. With that introduction, let's get into our conversation with Brother Eddie Mills. Brother Mills, you've been in China for a long time now, since 1993. And before that, you served your country for a number of years in the U.S. Air Force and later in the National Guard. And you'd done well in that realm. You had pretty big plans to make a career of it. Mm-hmm. When the Lord intervened in those plans and redirected you to the mm-hmm. field of China. So as we begin the conversation today, I'm wondering if you'll trace your service in the U.S. military uh, on to that higher calling and weightier deployment to serve the Lord Jesus Christ in China. Okay. When I graduated high school, I really had no desires to go to college, and I was more or less kind of hands-on type person and wanted to you know, kind of learn a trade, so I joined the Air Force, and I excelled very well in the Air Force. The military and my lifestyle just kind of matched because uh, whatever reason, they just say you know, some people in the military, either it's for you or it's not, and it was for me. I didn't mind shining my boots, that kind of stuff, and getting the haircuts and saluting. And, but I worked in the orderly room with the commander and the first sergeant. So even at the young age of 18, I was already working with senior officials, which helped prepare me later for China. Uh, I was you know, working in, with the commander uh, as a, you know, kind of an honor type thing. You know, I think everybody's seen those old uh, TV shows like MASH, you know, with Radar. You remember the story of Radar? <laughs> you know, Radar gives the commander something, and he'd sign it, and I even know what he's signing. Well, there's some truth in some of those little things about who Radar was. But So I was like a Radar, I guess you could say, you know, in the in military. Uh, pretty, uh, NCOs pretty much ran the unit, took care of all the paperwork and hand papers to the commander to sign. 
So, but anyway, at the young age of 18, I was working with all the senior officers, even at a young age there in the senior non-coms or NCOs. And, um, but when I was in the Air Force there at uh, Eglin Air Force Base at Fort Walton Beach, uh, I got involved in the independent church there. And uh, I grew up a free will Baptist. And my wife grew up Southern Baptist. And so we were faithful to church, grew up in church, and just knew the very basic Christian line of thinking. And, um, but, uh, we got to Fort Walton, and uh, a friend of mine, a master sergeant, uh, came into my office one day, and uh, he had signed something with the wrong color of ink with a pen. Now, in the military, everything's got to be signed with black ink, and he signed it with blue. And I started cursing. And he said, Eddie, when you got here, you didn't curse like that. What happened? Immediately, conviction kind of came over me because I did grow up in church and stuff like that. He said, listen, we're having revival at our church tonight, and I want you to come. And I, and I kind of hem-hawed, you know, uh, 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 well, I, I, I'll call Cindy and see what she thinks. Well, he just stood over my shoulder. He said, well, there's the phone, call her. <laughs> <laughs> and so I said, all right. So I picked the phone, call her, and said, hey, Cindy, you know, we've been invited to church. Would you like to go? She said, yes. And I said, oh, I'm, you know. I said, yes, we'll go. But anyway, but I've met that sergeant. He's a retired chief master sergeant right now. Just uh, I've reconnected with him, and I've told him my t- – my testimony of what he did to me that day to get me in church and how it changed my life. Amen. And so anyway, so I went to church and they had a revival there and just God removed in our lives. And we got very active in church, started going on visitation for the first time. And, you know, of course I, I didn't want to go. I was too shy. And the guy who was training me, uh, uh, he said, don't worry, within a few weeks, I won't be able to shut you up. <laughs> and sure enough, you know, after going a few weeks and you lose the shyness and you get your boldness in and, and but God did something through all those times of visitation and stuff, and uh, I started realizing, you know, a lot of people didn't know the truth, you know, know what I was learning in my church, and uh, so God started burning my heart, you know, through these interactions with my military friends. Uh, they're usually around a the base. There's a lot of military churches there, and you know, so God really worked in my life, you know, through that military church, and through my unit, you know, being around military people. And kind of a long story short, as I ended my uh, first four-year tour uh, there at Eglin in 1981, 81, uh, toward the beginning of 81 is when I felt God was calling me to preach. And so I had a decision to make, and I went to the commander because they, they had picked me for White House duty. It was a very uh, you know, rare opportunity for certain people to go to the White House to work, and I was selected to go to the White House. And I told the commander, well, I might not be signing up again. Re, and he kind of looked at me like, are you crazy? <laughs> and he said, why? He said, well, I think I'm called to preach, and I might be going to Bible school. And all of a sudden, he hollers at the first sergeant, you know, first sergeant, get in here now. Sergeant Mills involved in the cult. You know, we need to <laughs> see him get a psyche <laughs> oh, wow. valve. He don't want to go to the White House, you know. <laughs> wow. And I said, sir, calm down now. Calm down. This, you know, I'm, you know, I'm still praying about it. And, and, uh, and so he got, I got him calmed down. The first sergeant came in. Mills, what'd you do to the commander? <laughs> Why'd you get him so riled up? And then we had a long talk. And he said, "Well, you know, you do what you got to do. If you know, but uh, you need to think about this. It's a once in a lifetime thing to go to White House to you know serve your country." And long story short, uh, toward the end of '81, around uh, October, the decision was made. Some things happened in my life. It's kind of a long story, but I said, "You know, sir, I really believe God wants me to you know go to Bible school." So I left uh, the Air Force. Uh, all the, the senior officers and, and NCOs had a going away party for me, and they all had you know some remarkable things to say. And 
And they say, you know, Ruby, you know, Sergeant Mills, we glad you're doing what you think your calling is, but, you know, the Air Force needs you, and the Air Force needs you, you know. And, and so anyway, left and went to Bible school. And while I was in Bible school, they had a chance to work my father's business. And, but he died just about a year and a half later. And that's when I had a chance to join the National Guard. And so uh, really I wasn't looking for it. It found me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but this time it was kind of a little bit higher level type thing. I was on general staff before. I was just kind of at the unit level. But now I was at the headquarters level. And I was in charge of most of the uh, individual training for the whole state of Alabama. So if you was a, no matter what career, career field you was in, whether it was, you know, um, you know, like an armorer or, or a tanker or a, you know, field artillery, infantry, or medics, or supply, how to get the quota for you to go off to school and uh, through, you know, Washington, D.C. And so with the National Guard, I had a chance to, again, be working with the military. And and all those things prepared me for China because this time I was doing educational-type things. Okay. And as just doing educational-type things, you know, of course, at a higher level and for a wider, broader uh, uh, scheme of people, uh, just all these things was in preparation for China. So from the age of 18 to the, even to my young 20s, until I left China for, at the age of 33, I was working with senior level people about senior level topics and giving briefings on general level to colonel level, things like that. And so by the time I got to China, it all just gelled. It fit together because there I was working with all the officials of the province provinces and even be invited to Beijing to work with the, the cabinet members, what we'd call cabinet members, like for President Trump's cabinet members. Uh, you know, Beijing, I'd be working with the, the uh, Department of Education, Department of Foreign Affairs, and I'd be working with those senior level type people in Beijing. So all these things just tied together. Wow. It's, uh, it's always fascinating to see how the Lord uses some of the things that we would never expect Him to use in preparing us yeah. for for our service to him. So how did uh, you so you relocated from Northwest Florida to the Montgomery area. You're uh, going to you, you were in uh, Victory Baptist Church there under Pastor Dave Reese mm-hmm. studying the Bible. So how did the Lord put China specifically on your heart? How did that come on the radar? That's a that's a yeah. long way from <laughs> Montgomery for sure. Well, when I graduated Bible school back in in mid 80s, uh, immediately, God first put me in the juvenile work in the jail facilities, and okay. uh, so for the next ten years, I was from the time uh, I finished uh, Bible school to the time I went to China, I was in juvenile work, and again uh, working in a state facility that was preparing me for China. And I'll get to your, your this tied into your, your sure. question, and because uh, when I was working with these state facilities in the early '80s, that's when the uh, all these uh, juvenile facilities first began to open. And the State Department would give me a call and say, hey, Sergeant Mills, we'd like you to come to this facility and help us open a chapel at this place. And again, it was, it was learning how to work with state officials because, you know, what you preach from the pulpit is one thing, but what you preach at these facilities, you've got to use more care in, in selection of your words. Sure. <laughs> and, uh, and so uh, for the first 10 years, uh, I was dealing with the juvenile facilities. And, but in 93, our pastor started saying, make 93 different. Okay, the Gulf War just ended. And I just made master sergeant, and I was kind of sitting at my desk looking, and I said, you know, maybe there is more to life than just making sergeant major. And I said, Lord, you know, pastor said, you know, make 93 different. Maybe I should be considering something different. Now, in my mind, I was thinking about maybe I need to become a full-time chaplain, (laughs) a full-time service at the juvenile facilities or something like that. And um, so I was doing like pastor said, you know, make 93 different. 
And in March, we had a, our Bible conference. Dr. Herb Noe came in. I don't know if you knew Dr. Noe. I've, I've heard of him. him. And he came in, and he was preaching our Bible conference. And from the very beginning, God started kind of, I was saying, crawling all over me. And uh, Sunday night, you know, I was leaving the parking lot of the church. I said, you know, kind of scratching my head, like, you know, thinking this. Why is China in my mind? But what happened, our pastor said, make 93 different all the way since January up to March. But he was also saying, pray for my upcoming trip to China. Okay. Pray for my upcoming, every Sunday, make 93 different. Some of you, you punch in the work and you punch out and you could be doing much more. Oh, yeah, I'm going to China in May. Pray for my trip to China in May. Every Sunday, January, February, March. And so that's how China, you know, came into play, you know, pray for his upcoming trip. And so it's that Sunday night at the conference, uh, leaving the parking lot, you know, I couldn't get any peace, rest. It just China kept just like a drum, boom, boom. And I said, I'm imagining this. This is just imagination. <laughs> Monday night, it was even stronger, you know, the old saying, hanging on to the pew, white knuckles and all that kind of stuff. I said, Lord, this, no, I, I've got juvenile work. I've got, you know, you know. My career at the the guard. I'm getting. I'm in the sergeant major's position. You know. I'm. You know. I want to get 20 years and retire and go full time chaplain. Retire from that. And then Tuesday night. I mean, it was so clear. And you'd have to. You know. Some listeners probably know Dr. Noe. You know. He always had a crutch. And he had a you know polio leg. And he always kind of leaned on his crutch. And his elbow would be kind of on the top of the pulpit. And he'd kind of point his finger out to the crowd. And he'd kind of bounce it around. And so during the invitation that Tuesday night, he was. Kind of leaning over and pointing the finger at the crowd, he said, "Now, some of you, you will put off till tomorrow night what you can do tonight. <laughs> and if you put it off, you'll put it off again. That finger's going in again and again." And I said, "This is unreal," because I just thought in my mind, "I will go home and tell my family, tell my wife that we will come back tomorrow night and let the church know that God's dealing is about China." And he did that. So I looked down at my wife and said, Cindy, we're going to China. Wow. Out of the blue. <laughs> wow. But she had just finished praying, you know, help me to be an obedient wife, do what the Lord would have us do as a family. And by the time she said amen in her mind, <laughs> I reached down and grabbed her hand and said, we're going to China. Wow. And so we walked forward, and our four children were scattered all over the church. We had a, a large service, that, a crowded service that night, and I was waving my children up to the front of the altar. And at the altar, I told him, I said, I think that God's called us to China. Now, the oldest one was 13, 11, 9, and 4. And they didn't know what that really meant, but sure. they was happy about it. And, and uh, But God did two things that night. He called us to China. And uh, I might need that you ask another question, but there's some other things about what happened that night is how we got to China and five months later. Five months later. Yeah. Wow. The Lord since '93. I mean, you've been you've been there. I mean, you're in your 27th year yeah. right now. So that's a long that's a long that's a long time for a missionary to yeah. be in a foreign field. And the Lord has opened some incredible doors for you in in China. Of course, um, the People's Republic of China. You 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 don't a Baptist preacher doesn't go to China as a missionary. It does just yeah. it just doesn't happen. There's got to be some other legitimate reason for them to be in the country in order to obtain a visa. Most of our listeners would be um, would be familiar with that with that reality. And a lot of a lot of American expats are able to enter into the country 
by teaching English, mm-hmm. ESL, English as a Second Language. And that was your that was your way mm-hmm. into the country as well. And I'm, I'm assuming from the very beginning, but um, that actually took a very different shape over the course of years because English as a second language for, for most American workers that are doing something gospel-related in the country, the ESL is a means to sort of work around the government. But for you, it's been different. It's been a means for you to work through the government. So tell our listeners a, a little bit about how this developed um, what has come to be known as the International Education Exchange Association mm-hmm. that you uh, established in Hainan and how that has opened the door for you as well as for others to get into the country and share the Lord Jesus Christ with Chinamen. Sure. And well, 1993, when we went, we arrived in August 93. Now, Hainan is a province just right below Hong Kong. It, it was just recently a new province. It was always a uh, part of the province right above before. And China kind of treated Hainan like a, they, they, they even joke about this, this is our ugly stepchild. You know, okay. That's <laughs> kind of a bad way to put it, but that's what they say, you know. And, uh, but it became its own province. But it was lagging behind in education and in industry and in many things. So they opened up a foreign language uh, college there in Hainan, and, there's a, and they call it what a term they use called normal school, English normal school. Sure. Uh, a lot of people in America don't know what the term normal school means. Like we say normal, well, either normal or, or not normal, but normal used to be uh, an educa- the term even in America for an educational institute. Yeah, they used to have many of those in the U.S. Right. years ago. Right, before we had to, all the to teach To teach teachers, right? Teach, you know, teach young people to be teachers at the elementary school school level right so if you graduated from a normal school your 10th grade your 11th grade and 12th grade would be specialized in a subject so you still study all the subject but if you went to a music normal school then when you graduated high school you could immediately start teaching in the elementary school and you teach music there's a math normal school english normal school or even a pe normal school so in china most of their uh, educators graduated from a normal school and then later they graduated to teacher colleges. And so uh, then you'd go up to four years of college, and those teachers would teach at a high school level. So anyway, Hainan, when I went in 93, Wen Chung, where we was at, had this, there's only six English normal schools in China, and Hainan had the sixth one. And that's where we was invited to be the first teachers to go to this normal school in okay. Hainan. And so it was a very prestigious honor to be able to teach at a school like this. And, of course, our family, all of our four children went, and, and the Chinese officials just fell in love with our family. They couldn't believe someone would bring their family to Hainan. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so having our family there was very special. And so, but through teaching, uh, immediately it puts you in contact with everybody. You know, like your schools have, even here in America, your school teacher has contacts with how many families? You know, families always checking on their students, you know, checking with the teacher. Does my student need to do this, do that? And so we worked very hard with the families and the school staff, and so we was very well accepted with the school. And uh, as that grew, uh, at, at the end of that first three years, the Hainan government uh, began to ask me to help them. Uh, uh, they had never invited teachers from abroad before. And they say, Mr. Mills, how do we do it? And they're asking me, how do you do it? And I said, well, I think we have to have a letter of invitation. And they said, well, Mr. Mills, would you type up one for us? <laughs> and I actually typed up the letter of invitation for them so they would have a model to use to bring people you know, into China. And uh, now back then, all the rules were very simplified. It's, it's much more complicated now. 
but I was helping a lot of the government officials at that time uh, were prior English teachers. There's, there's Chinese English teachers who came to the government. They never had a government job before, didn't know it's, it's bad to say they didn't know much of anything but other being a teacher themselves. But I had worked for the government, you know, with the National Guard and with the Air Force, and I knew procedures for this or that, you know, troop movements and stuff. So, and, so I just contacted my embassy, you know, what do we need to get a visa? And they said, well, you need a letter of invitation. So I'd type it up for the school official, I mean, for the government official, give it to them, and they would use my letters and stuff. And, and so the more I had interaction with the officials, the more God just week by week, month by month, year by year, let it grow into something more and something more and something more. So was your the the International Education Exchange Association? I guess that began formally in two thousand one. Two thousand, yeah, years later. And that's something that you you started as a result of the of the relationships that you already right. had with the officials right. in Hainan. What had happened? The government officials they they had different organizations trying to help Hainan, but there's always outside organizations who are not familiar with Hainan. Now Hainan has its unique culture, just like. Uh, like I'm from Alabama. Is Alabama culture the same as Tennessee culture? Uh, there are some differences, actually. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. I, I know. <laughs> and it, now, and is, is Tennessee the same as Texas? Uh, no, no. Okay, well, well, China's the exact same way. Right. Each province has its own culture. It has its own food. Is Texas food the same as Tennessee food? Now, <laughs> right. I'm not trying to oversimplify things, but this is the way China is. Well, Hainan is exceptionally different from all the other provinces. Sure. And so uh, even a lot of the mainlanders would come to Hainan and not do well there, and they'd want to go back to Beijing, go back to Shanghai, go back to the bigger cities where they had a different, a normal, what they call a normal way of thinking. But I had been living in Hainan, understanding Hainan, and I could adapt to Hainan. And so that's when they asked me, well, Mr. Mills, since you know us, would you form an organization that would help Hainan? And they'll say, you know, Shanghai has many foreigners, Beijing has many foreigners, and all these larger cities, but Hainan, nobody will come. And uh, I said, okay, I'll form an organization to help Hainan. But I said, really, I don't know anybody in Beijing. You know, to get this paperwork through Beijing, it would take, you know, we you say like an act of God to get this thing approved. And they said, oh, don't worry, Mr. Mills, we'll get your paperwork approved. You just formed the organization. And I said, but really, I'm going to tell you, I don't know anybody in Beijing. They said, don't worry. Just go home and get your paperwork. So I came home in 2001 and I formed the IEA as a nonprofit educational exchange association, a true nonprofit uh, under education, not religious, but un- educational. And I came back and gave them the paperwork and they said, we'll submit it to Beijing. And I'm kind of just laughing in my head because I know it takes two to three years for this to be approved. My paperwork came back in less than six months. Wow. That, that's how serious Hainan was to have an organization that would help them. And they entrusted that to me because they said, Mr. Mills, your family understands us. Wow. Please now be a representative and help Hainan. So probably getting that kind of nonprofit status in China is not necessarily a really easy thing for somebody just to set out and and get that kind of. So what sort of access does that give you? within the country to have that kind of nonprofit. Well, when, once we approved, it was approved in Beijing, uh, they give you a special certificate from Beijing saying your organization is approved by them. It's really approved by Beijing back in those days. And Beijing would authorize me to help Hainan. 
back in the early 90s, everything was centrally controlled at, like we said, like the D.C. level, that Beijing would be the D.C. level. So everything was centrally controlled there as far as all outside organizations like mine. So once a year, I'd go to Beijing, attend meetings with their cabinet members, like Foreign Affairs and Education, and they would tell us, this is what kind of teachers we want. This is what we'd like you to do as an organization that brings other teachers in. Make sure they understand, you know, and they'll give us a list of things that you know, make sure they behaved right, didn't get drunk, didn't show up to classroom, drugged out. And I hate to say those things, but we had a lot of what we call just backpack teachers that was backpacking the world. <laughs> but anyway, so they, they would tell us what they'd want. And so every time I'd go to Beijing to meet with the officials and then come back to Hainan, Hainan would, you represented as well, Mr. Mills, you represented as well. And so the more I went to Beijing on Hainan's behalf, the happier Hainan was with who we were. And so we started bringing teachers in. Now, back in those days, Hainan was a very agricultural rural place. It was not like going to Beijing where you could go see the Great Wall or go to the Forbidden City. So, you know, most foreigners usually would want to go to Beijing because of all those great sightseeing places. Well, Hainan had nothing. It was just agricultural. <laughs> it was farmland. Right. And they couldn't understand, well, why don't people want to come here where it's green? And I said, well, we got green places in America. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but they understood the challenges it was to get people to come to their little island. Sure. And, uh, but little by little, things changed, and it grew, and it grew, and it grew. And But God used those things of this of my uh organization they asked me to form they asked me to form i never dreamed of having something like this but they pretty much twisted my arm i guess you would say they literally twisted my arm we need this mr mills sure i guess a lot of guys that that initiate a work in a in a so-called closed country like this they they are really working at a, a, some kind of workaround so that the government will leave them alone mm-hmm. But uh, the way that all this has come to you, it's you're you're not just trying to work around the government. You're working hand in hand with the government. Yeah. They're aware of your of your presence there. They know the kind of people that you're bringing into the yeah. country to teach English. And so uh, I've heard you I've heard you make reference to the fact that the Lord does this sometimes. It's mm-hmm. like uh, like Joseph in Egypt, mm-hmm. uh, Mordecai in Persia, or Daniel in Babylon. Um. Right. The Lord puts the Lord puts some influential people, some of his people in places places. of authority. Right. And uh, that's that's a that's a really, really interesting development, especially when we think about uh, China and being an atheistic, communistic Mm -hmm. government. Now, um, I remember seeing seeing some pictures years ago hearing you tell about the work and um you've got you've got some pretty unique um credentials in in the country some some you have access that's pretty uncommon among mm-hmm. american expats something along the lines of of what what we would call in the states a green card mm-hmm. that gives you pretty pretty significant Pre-access. liberty yeah. Yeah. uh in china how'd that develop and what does that mean to have that kind of the, that kind of card? Uh, well, of course, when I finished in the 90s, 2001, I formed the organization. Uh, in 2000, I think I meant 2003 or 2004, I won what they called uh, – well, first I won the uh, Provincial Friendship Award. And uh, that was in 2002 or three. I can't remember right now. 
And to, that's the first year it came out. Now, Friendship Award might not mean much to us. We don't have that kind of thinking here. Uh, but in China, for them to award a Friendship Award to a person from another country speaks volumes. You know, they say, this is a friend of Hainan. And so we won the Friendship Award for, the, they call it the Coconut Island, it's a Mon Island, it's Coconut Island Friendship Award, and I got to meet the governor and things like that, and I was given the award. Well, two years later, I was sent to Beijing, uh, I think it was 2004, that I won the, the National Friendship Award. Oh, wow. And I was sent to Beijing to meet the premier of China, Wen Jiabao. And so I actually dined with him and got to go through all their, what we call the White House, it would be their White House in you know, Tiananmen Square. And <laughs> so um, I'm rubbing shoulders with the vice president of China, the, the premier of China, got pictures made with them. They, they put a medal over my neck, and I've got this medal I've got today. It's, it's the National Friendship Award. Wow. Now, in China, to win the National Friendship Award, that would carry you anywhere in China. All I, we've got to do is mention that Mr. Mills is a, a recipient of the National Friendship Award. And then shortly after that uh, is when China started uh, opening up their uh, customs and visas to what they call, you know, the green cards. And they said, Mr. Mills, we'd like you to be one of the first recipients of the Chinese green card. Wow. And you don't apply for it, they recommend you for it. Okay. And so they uh, called my office and told my you know, Chinese staff, they said, we want to send you some paperwork. We want you to, we want Mr. Mills to apply for the green card. <laughs> wow. And so um, then uh, I think that was, I've got my dates, that's mixed up in my mind. Around 2004 is when that happened. And uh, we did the paperwork. And I became Hainan's first recipient of a, of a Chinese green card, which means I need no visa. I can come and go to China as I please. And uh, it's already been renewed here just recently. I've got another, it's, it lasts 10 years. It's a 10 year visa type thing, but it's just like a little ID card, like a driver's license size card. Right. And it's got my picture on it, and it's got all kind of Chinese markings on it in English and the communist seal and when i come to customs at the airports or train station uh, where they usually ask for my passport where the visa is I, I still have to show my passport but i have my green card there and they look at the green card and their eyes will light up oh friendship friendship wow. oh yeah friendship <laughs> wow. and they let me just go right through and they just their whole expression will change when they see it's a, uh, a green card now do i do i recall that did they manipulate your photo my first on the one. green card on the on your initial green card well i didn't pay you know you know you don't really notice it so much yourself you know well, the first one i got uh it, every time i got to the states i showed it to people they say eddie you look asian in this one and i didn't pay any attention to it and then uh and then next pass hey you kind of look asian in this one and i thought everybody was kind of joking I kind of got to looking at it, and I, you know, kind of raised my glasses up and looked. And I said, "You know what? I do kind of look Asian." Then I showed it to my friend who does a lot of computer work. He said, "Eddie, they pulled your eye." <laughs> I said, "What do you mean they pulled my?" He said, "It's easy. They can, uh, you know, with uh, what we call that Photoshop. Adobe Photoshop, yeah, yeah. they can actually pull your eyes." And he did He said, "They pulled your eyes just a hair," <laughs> and so they really. Now, whether the guy was trying to be funny who did it, or right. whether the guy was doing it just so I wouldn't be so Western, I don't know. But he said they actually did pull your eyes just a certain percent to give you a tad of an Asian look. Well, that is that that is uh, rather appropriate because you, you they they really have adopted you yeah. as uh, there in in China among those officials that you work with, and more recently as sort of another illustration of the favor that you've yeah. uh, that you've developed with the with the officials. Um, 
the People's Republic of China just celebrated their their 70th anniversary. Yeah. And uh, you actually got an invitation from for, Beijing. From Beijing. So you and your wife went, the, didn't we you? We sat in the parade stand and wow. uh, to see the whole parade when, when Xi Jinping goes by right in front of Tiananmen Square there. Uh, there's, there's about 50 of us foreigners that had a special area designated for us. And uh, going through security was pretty remarkable. They We met at a hotel, and just like the uh, when you go through the airport, you know that scanner they've got? Sure. Well, they brought in a scanner to the hotel. We had to go through a scanner there at the hotel. Then wow. we got there, and they made special ID cards for us that we had to scan at two or three places because we was going to be right next to the president, you know, wow. Xi Jinping. And so we're not right next to him, but in his vicinity, you know, so sure. if you're within a certain distance of him, you got everybody's got to be cleared. So, again, that just shows that, you know, they did a full background check on me. They know who I am. There's right. no hiding that stuff. I always try to tell pastors, you know, no matter how dis- discreet you try to behave or worry about my name being mentioned, they know who I am. <laughs> sure. And uh, so even – so up to this point of last year, you know, I passed what we call like a full uh, review. Like we'd have – like if I went to see President Trump, who would do a review on me? be fbi the, uh, and right department of homeland security something like cia that, sure. all of them right yeah. dni and <laughs> fbi all those did that on me in china sure and so they know who i am and but they still let me be in the vicinity of their president so this is this is um part of your your philosophy in china you did not go there to contend with the government mm. uh you, dagger is the worst thing you can do so so Maybe elaborate on that a little bit. Your your background in the military, you understand the chain of command, you understand authority structures, and and the biblical idea of of acknowledging the powers that be. Mm-hmm. And so, how have those things informed your approach to working in a closed country and and operating within the within these um, realms that the Lord has opened unto you and working with the officials? When I graduated Bible school. Uh, you know, like I said, I was already in the military and uh, working with our state facilities, state juvenile facilities and things like that. And I started noticing things when I went to the state facilities. And this is one of the first things that kind of prepared me for China. Uh, when I first got to the juvenile facility, there's a, there a, a sergeant and he was standing by the, the door there. And I was in my uniform because I'd always leave work and go to the juvenile facility. And they said they'd like me to wear my uniform because it gave the kids something to to think about that they could do it for themselves. I said, hey, Sarge, I'm Sergeant Mills. And I said, this is my first time here. And he said, I, could you help me? There was some pointers, good you know, do's and don'ts. Eyes, His eyes lit up, and I can't say the words he said. But he, <laughs> he, said he didn't get that very much, He said, did he? you're asking me? And I said, well, you work here, don't you? And he said, yeah, but nobody's ever, no preacher's ever asked me. And I said, well, I'm a preacher, and I'm asking you. <laughs> And he said, well, listen, I've got to have these boys bedded down at a certain time. When y'all preach over time, I get rode up. Oh, wow. And I said, I got that note. I got you, Sarge. He said, you know what else? He said, y'all get here and say, you know, y'all say them Mormons are from hell or them Jehovah's Witnesses are going to hell. Well, that, them kids will have find out one of these other kids are a Mormon, and they'll have a blanket party on his head. Yeah. You don't need to be preaching that, you know. And, uh, and he gave me some other things. You know, he said, don't give gifts to these guys you don't supposed to leave pencils and pens with them they'll use those things as you know uh as a shank or something, a shank or yeah. something and they'll hurt each other or hurt me right and he gave me a bunch of other list of things to do and i said sarge i got you and uh immediately he noticed that we listened to him and we took his words that they had value to it and uh, i started noticing every week that i came 
instead of him standing back by the door, he got closer to the preaching part. If a kid was acting up, he'd walk behind him, thump him on the head. He said, you listen, Sergeant Mills. You listen, Sergeant Mills. And But after about six months of preaching, was given the kind of invitation, he raised his hand. Wow. He got saved. Amen. And uh, But right there, I started learning something. You know, if you're going to work in a controlled environment, you got to work with the officials. I learned that in my first year of working within juvenile facilities when I met that Sarge. And because of our reputation there, then the State Department of Alabama gave us a call and said, hey, we want you, Victory Baptist, to have this new facility that's opened up on Air Base Boulevard. And to this day, we still have that facility because wow. of our testimony of following the rules. Sure. And uh, so I tell all of our young people that comes to China, you know, and I've given this example that I use there. So even in the states, we have to realize there are certain protocols and etiquettes you have when you go to a state facility. Here in China, you're working at a state facility. There's things that you need to realize when you're in the classroom and teaching. And I tell all of our young people, you know, don't teach the Bible in the classroom. You know, and for example, let's say uh, Cornerstone had a Christian school. You don't have a Christian school no, yet. No, let's say you had no. a Christian school here, and you hire me to teach English. Say, Mr. Mills, we want you to teach English 8 to 9, first period, Monday through Friday. Okay, and they say, Brother Lee, you're the principal or the headmaster. What do you want me to do if you hire me to teach English 8 to 9? I want you to teach English. <laughs> what if every Wednesday I'm not teaching English? That's going to be a problem. Man. And I'm giving a Bible lesson instead. Right. And you'll, you'll have, and the parents will start complaining and say, Brother Lee, you know, I'm paying tuition for Brother Mills to be there teaching English. Well, he's not teaching English on Wednesday. He's giving devotion. Don't y'all have chapel at other times? And, of course, you'd have to say, well, yes, we have chapel at other times, and, yes, we'll talk to Mr. Mills. Now, if you come to me and tell me I should stop, you know, giving devotions and teach English, what should my response be? Yes, sir. Okay. <laughs> now, what if the parents give you a call and they say, well, not only did he uh, not stop teaching the devotion on Wednesday, he started doing it on Thursday. Right. What would you do? Yeah, well, you might end up having to look for a job after a while. <laughs> That's what's happened in China. Okay. You know, and so so what we done, we went in China, we followed the rules. We, we, we tell our young people, if you will teach properly, you will have the opportunity to preach properly later on. But if you fail to teach, you will not get a chance to preach. Sure. You've got to go in there. And so we went over and above as far as the teaching part. Then China's fears right now is that we will come home. They, they know we're Christian. They know we teach. They know students that graduate our classes go off to schools all over the world. They don't mind us preaching. Like they say, we say turn a blind eye to something. They say open one eye, close one eye. So it's like mm -hmm. my right eye is open. They, can, they, they see what we do with education. You know, I got my other hand in front of me. But the, this other eye, the left eye is closed. They just choose not to see what we're doing with the Christian work because what we're doing with education outweighs what we're doing with the church. As far as they're concerned. As far yeah. as they're concerned. Yeah. So they know there's a trade-off to have Westerners there. And the trade-off is if we produce for them, they'll just keep that other eye closed. As long as I don't go out there and just really do something what they would call stupid, like you know, passing out literature. And so if I do the English teaching properly and and like if uh like some of our students have won the, the whole provincial award for english and they went to beijing and won uh national awards i'm a shoe in to stay <laughs> sure amen so, so they and that's what joseph did you know when he was in potiphar's house what did he do he ran potiphar's home right. he said potiphar didn't know the right the right hand or left hand done joseph did it all 
Same thing happened when he went to prison. Joseph did it all. Same thing when he went to the government level. Joseph did it all. He ran the, sh the show. And so what we need is really when we talk about these closed countries, we need people that can come in and do more than just give three points in a point, get on your knees and pray. <laughs> sure. The ESL platform has given you the opportunity not only for you and your family to be in China full time, but for you to bring a lot of other people over mm -hmm. there, Christians that, I mean, there's there's no telling how many residents of Hainan have been personally acquainted with Bible believing Christians that they that would never otherwise have been personally acquainted with Bible believing mm -hmm. Christians through this platform. So where are these teachers coming from? What are you looking for when you mm -hmm. when you do a recruitment and try to find uh, teachers and and what what are your hopes for them in a in a in in gospel terms? What mm -hmm. what what is the desire for them when they get there in terms of sharing their mm -hmm. faith? Well, at the time I. By the time 2001 comes around, my children had uh, come home uh, to graduate. Uh, we'd always send our children home for their senior year to our, our church, Victory Baptist, because we had a Christian school there. We'll, we'll at least them do their senior year back with their friends. And then uh, my oldest one wanted to be a nurse, so she went to PCC to study nursing. My second one wanted to be elementary school, and so she went to PCC. Well, about that time, now, now we kind of moved up to around 2007, uh, well, PCC was starting their mission board there. And they, uh, Dr. Busey is someone I know very well, and uh, he uh, would always call on the children that were missionaries because he taught a mission class. And when he found out that my daughter was there and she had come from China, which China was very new back in, in still in the 90s or in the early 2000s, and they said, well, have your dad give me a call. And so I gave Dr. Busey a call, and they asked me, you know, would you help us, you know, do some things with getting our first mission teams out, and which is, that's what I did with the military, getting people out from point A to point B. And so I was showing them how to do some things. And they said, we'd like to send our first team to, to China. And we had like about 25 people come to China that first summer. And, wow. and that was a load of people. <laughs> and, um, and it was new for Hainan also to have that many foreigners there. And, um, but what we tell was telling young people, you might not be called to missions, but that doesn't mean you can't be used in missions. Amen. Back in Hudson Taylor's day, every missionary that came to China, what profession were they? Oh, that's right, in the medical Medi field. Medical fields. Yeah. You know, if you went to the mission, even in Africa, you went as a doctor. Everybody that went back in the day, which that's more than, what, more than 100 years ago? Right? Yes, sir. Everybody was doctors. Mm -hmm. and, and then nurses would come to support the doctor who was also the missionary. What opened door for Hudson Taylor was that medical treatment they gave the people. Okay. And then they would come and hear him speak later after he treated their physical illness. Well, if you think about it, before Jesus preached many times, what did he do to the people? He fed them or he fed healed them. them or he met some kind of need that they and had. And then he preached. Okay. So we've got, and I'm not saying this is like a negative way, but it's like we forget to serve the people in order just so we can preach to the people. If you'll go and serve the people in some fashion, whether it's education, medical, they're more likely to listen to you. Sure. <laughs> and so now, no way I can be a doctor. I'm just an old army grunt. <laughs> <laughs> but I could be an edu educator. And so what medical missions was back in the day with the Taylors and Livingston is what education missions is today. And most of the uh, young people at PCC or other places I've talked to, or churches that had Christian schools or some school teachers there, they said, they go, you mean I can go to the mission field? I said, yeah. 
but I'm not called. I said, I know you're not, but you are an educator, right? You know, you know Christian education principles. If you'll come and just teach, you'd be surprised how God will use your teaching. And they go, really? You sure. mean you would take me? And I said, well, if your parents approve and your pastor gives a recommendation, you know, you'll come for the summer, and the summer will introduce you to China for the summer program. And they would come, and their eyes would just light up. They said, oh, Mr. Mills, this is wonderful. The food is great. The people are nice. I can do this. When I graduate, I want to come and teach a year. Can I, can I, can I, huh, 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 can I? (laughs) And I said, well, sure you can. And I said, no, go back and, you know, keep your testimony right and finish, you know, uh, college and work with your pastor. Always go through your church. And then uh, once people came for the summer, we'd always have a group that want to come back and teach a year. And so the summer program introduced missions to them, and they started realizing I didn't have to be called to the field to go to the field. Great. And most people think that there's a special calling in order to just go for any reasons, and there's not. Everybody should visit the mission field. I am a strong proponent of visiting a foreign field. And whether an individual, whether a young person in particular, you get those formative years as a young adult, if you can get exposure to another culture, to another way of life, and if you can take your, the as, as simple as it may be, your Christian testimony and have relationships with other people that don't have your background – and it, whether whether you end up deployed in full-time missions or not, that is going to get in your heart. Right. It's going to get in your spiritual blood, and it's going to make you a more effective, more sensitive mm-hmm. Christian in your local church when it comes to being a part right. of missions. I am absolutely yeah. in favor of that. Like when I go to a mission conference, if there's some young people that's already been to the mission field, like when I finish my presentation, they'll walk up and have a smile on their faces. I understand. Yeah, <laughs> I've good. been there. Even though they haven't been there as long as, as – long as I they realize what's being said because they've actually experienced the different culture sure. the different language the different food the different dress the different they say Mr. Mills I don't know if my other people here understood it but I understood what you were saying yes, sir so it's a big advantage to the pastor when their young people go off to the mission field oh I think it strengthens a church a church's missions effort mm-hmm to have young people that have had that experience mm-hmm. and that exposure. Sure. I read just lately you shared a young lady's testimony of interacting. I guess she was there for a year teaching, maybe 12 perhaps years. Long, 12 years. Wow. Yeah, she came and she just would never go home. <laughs> and then well, good, and, I say that in a good way, though. Yeah, right? and then there's that. Yeah. You, you will have some that, yeah. that say, hey, I can see myself here long term, yeah. and it's a and, beautiful thing. And there's something I need to say, and Pastor needs to kind of help me with this. You know, ladies will come. Guys have every excuse in the world not to come. Isn't that a and shame? And I don't know, and even though I've been in missions for a while, I don't understand why the ladies are so eager to participate. And it's not that guys are shy to participate. And I don't think they're afraid, but I don't know what it is that keeps guys from experiencing the mission i don't know experiencing is not the right word i'm not sure what word to use but they won't take that step forward and say well okay i'll go but ladies they can't wait to jump in and go well i don't know what to attribute that to i do hope that if we if we have some listeners that are young men (laughs) i hope they'll be challenged Mm -hmm. by that observation because it's unfortunate yeah it's carol what carol was i'll say her name carol but she, you know, after 12 years, no guys ever came. And, you know, she has a desire to marry and, and sure. have a family and stuff. And she said, hey, I've got to come back. And she's from Tennessee. She's coming okay. back in Tennessee. She just arrived 
last night she in returned. the in the course of that testimony though she relates having a having a relationship yeah. with a with family young, with right that that opened the door for her to be a witness mm-hmm. and to be a to, to years, minister the gospel yes for years and years she had worked with this one family and uh the daughter was her age and uh, when uh, every time the this Chinese family had a, a special holiday, they invite Carol over to their home, and she would eat all the traditional foods and and stay with June and things like that. And but uh, but Carol would witness to them and get nowhere with them, just get nowhere, nowhere, nowhere. Well, of course, everybody knows COVID happened this year. Well, for whatever reason, COVID. Now, the Hainan people are very superstitious, extremely superstitious, and they knew Carol had peace, and uh, Christians had peace about what was happening. And then uh, this Chinese lady's name is, she's got the name June. And she's, and June called Carol over and said, I'm ready to read my Bible. Wow. And I want to read it now. And so she would be reading through it. And she, and she got to the Exodus part with all the plagues happening. <laughs> she says, We're like Pharaoh and them. The world is not listening. I'm going to listen on the first one. I ain't going to wait for the other ones. Wow. <laughs> and so that? Carol says she's basically devouring the Bible now. Wonderful. And, uh, but, but she invested you know, pretty much 10 years of her life in this family before this family you know, started coming around. Sure. It doesn't always take 10 years no, to no, develop no, no, that no. kind of relationship, but the, effectively communicating the gospel requires the, the cultivation of relationships. Mm-hmm. I believe that's true in virtually Even, yeah. every culture. Right. And unfortunately, there are places around the world, China would be with, with 1.3 billion people in China, it's one of those places where there are a lot of souls mm-hmm. that do not have an opportunity to develop a relationship with right. a Christian. And so to have this kind of opportunity, this open door for teachers to go into Hainan, develop relationships with Chinese nationals that maybe in some cases are their students, their friends, their neighbors, and, and to have an opportunity mm-hmm. to communicate the gospel in that way is, is wonderful. Yeah. Uh, I remember one time, it was first there in Wenchang, the, uh, one of the students injured themselves and had a very nasty cut on their shin. Well, they picked her up and carried her to our apartment and said, Mr. Mills, what do we do? Well, we called for a taxi, took her to the hospital. We paid for the medical bill and all that kind of stuff, not worrying about anything about, you know, are we going to get repaid by the school or whatever, the family, because most of the students were very poor. And uh, But that got out that we took care of the student. Sure. And they said, Mr. Mills understands us. He's not asking, like, who's going to pay the pay him back? He just did it. Right. <laughs> and so relationships are can be anything it's more than just you know do i have a right to speak to you with the gospel will you take care of our children will you uh, help the teachers will you can we depend on you for this when we ask or for that when we ask and when you get past the the superficial sure uh, is that word you want to use superficial yeah. type things where they can really call you at midnight and say hey i've got a problem will you come and right. help us right and that's what they mean by relationship and once you get to that point they're more in tune to listen to you than just because a Westerner's there sharing his Western belief of who right. they think God is. Well, and and of course, the ESL platform is just that. It's a platform mm-hmm. for the development of relationships so that you have the opportunity to preach and teach the mm-hmm. gospel to sinners that otherwise might not hear right. it. And of course, you went to China not not primarily to teach English to, to native Chinese speakers, but to give the gospel to sinners mm-hmm. and to see 
local churches established. Right. So how has uh, how's the church planting effort developed alongside of the ESL platform? Well, all of my pastors right now are, are English teachers. Okay. <laughs> uh, so it's through English that they became uh, you know introduced to the Bible. Now they like most of your Chinese officials in China. They all own a Bible. They know it's a, a Western literature. They, they call it Western literature. A part of learning the culture is learning the Bible. Okay. Yeah, I've had different officials say, "I've got eight Bibles at home. I've got one of every brand that you've got." <laughs> and uh, I said, "Well, do you read it?" And they said, well, "We read it, but we know there's a deeper meaning behind it, and I haven't found the deeper meaning yet." Uh-huh. And so they recognize that. So anyway, through teaching English, you know that puts you in contact with the people. They're always at your house, and they want to learn about your English culture. They know culture and language go hand in hand. Right. And and one of my first converts was named Brian. Uh, He's in his 40s right now, pastoring two or three churches. And he said, what's the best way to learn English? I said, well, the best way to see that book on the table there, that's that's the Bible. That was the text for many people over 100 years ago. He loves the these and the thou. Amen. And even when he would speak in public, he would do these and thous because <laughs> it helped pronunciation, the th- sound. Yeah. And uh, so by just them seeing what you have at home, what you do at home, and your holidays is all involved around English, uh, you didn't have to go out and just pass out tracks. They would see it in your lifestyle. And so in your lifestyle, of, that would relate to them, and that would develop a relationship with, with them. Now, not everybody that come to my house cared that the Bible was there. I could point it out, and they'll just skip over it. Well, that's fine. You, you just have to leave and let them go. Uh, not everyone commented on you praying over you, your plate, <laughs> but some would. Not everybody cared about the holidays. But so at my school at that time, I think there's like 5,000 students. Now, when I Wen Chung had almost a half a million people there, and this is why I try to tell you I'm young people that go to the mission field your mission field is not that whole city as what we would think when you go to a, a controlled area because you can't go out to door to door and you know places like that so out of five hundred thousand people i had to concentrate on that school population of five thousand right but in that school i didn't have every student as my uh as one of my everybody in the school is not one of my students so i might have like 10 classes of 50 there's more than 50 in the class but i'll just make it easy there's 50 in every class Okay, uh, so if I got 10 classes of 50 students, that's 500 people. So it's went from 500,000, a population, to 5,000 at the school, to 10 classes of 50 or 500 students. Now, of those 500 students, there's maybe five or six that will come to my house on a regular basis to learn more. If you have five from each class, you know, 25, 30 people that you really, so God just kind of just slowly brought it down to a, a manageable number. And if those small numbers that would come on a regular basis, those are the ones you invest your time in. But a lot of times we get worried about the 500,000, and we miss what's right in front of us, those five or yes. few from each class. So over the years, every few classes had a handful of students that wanted to know more. God brings them to you. There's no way for you to go out and find them. They find you. Hmm. And when you let God bring them to you, then what we have today is eight churches, all pastored by. We've got about eight men in the ministry right now. That, I mean, we've got more than that in the ministry, but that's full-time ministry. And, uh, but they always prior English students, and, and um, God brought them to me. Amen. Yeah. So it's not a it's not it's sure not a sensational thing where you're preaching on the street and passing out thousands of tracks. It's it's relational, but it's been surprisingly 
fruitful oh, yeah. and it's produced a, a ministry that is that's yeah. going on 27 years now yeah. and i said to all the officials know i'm a christian uh, i've been issued they introduced me to other officials as a christian because we'll wow. be at the big uh, october 1st is their national day like our july 4th is coming up theirs is october 1st and i always sit at a head table at a banquet hall with the governors and mayors and even the top generals for the uh, for the islands with a big round table there and uh, different at one point they'll stand up for their national anthem, and after that they'll have some toast, you know, giving cheers, you know. And they'll notice in my cup it's either, uh, it's not the color of wine, it's Coca Cola. <laughs> right. And it's, they'll come over and say, "Miss Mills, you won't drink wine with us, you know, by Jill." And I said, "Well, I, I don't really drink." And they, another person next to him, "Well, we've been trying to get Mills to drink for a long time. He's a Christian. He won't drink." And the guy, the the person would dump his cup reach over and get some coca-cola and put it in his cup <laughs> and he'll toast me with coca-cola wow and so they know who we are and they don't mind they don't mind that you're a christian you know everybody thinks the communist countries hate christianity they don't hate it they just hate it when it's used for political purposes right and so as long as you come in and abide this i think i was sharing this with you before you know even you know paul says something is very special in the next you know 25 and this is, you know, remember, he was a Jew, but he was also what? He's a Roman citizen. Roman citizen. He had a green card. Yeah. yeah <laughs> you right. think about it, you know. <laughs> so when, when uh, Paul was given something in Acts 25, verse 8, he said, he answered for himself, neither against the law of the Jews, uh, neither against the temple, you're yet against Caesar, if I offended anything at all. He had to balance all three of those things. And I think that kind of is a principle that we've missed in Christianity. We think if I'm called to preach, I can go do what I want, when I want, as I want. And since I'm a missionary, I'm on a mission and I can do whatever I want. And those are the ones who don't usually survive on the mission field because they had this mentality that I don't have to be careful about the law of the Jews, which that was the for Paul at the time, the Old Testament, against the temple, which was still the Old Testament temple. And but yet again, Caesar. So he balanced all three. Sure. If you balance all three, you will have a ministry. Amen. And it's certainly uh, developed that way. Yeah. For you now for twenty seven years, uh, Brother Mills. Looking at your looking at your ministry, um, it's just so obvious that it's the Lord's doing. I mean, it's uh, you oh were, yeah. <laughs> uh, the the Lord prepared you in some ways that uh, that you could never have known what you were being prepared for at the time, and opened some doors that no man could have opened. Mm -hmm. And so we praise the Lord that he's that he's done yeah. so and that he's continuing to get um, Christian workers into a place like China to share the gospel and continuing to use you to train men and plant churches even as you uh, as you operate this this ministry to teach English and Amen. give others an opportunity to come in. Thanks so much for the conversation. I've sure enjoyed it. I appreciate you uh, taking the time to tell us about the work in China and uh, Praise the Lord for you and appreciate your, appreciate your labor. The work of mission presents us with any number of delicate balances from family dynamics to cultural adaptation. Among the challenges that often face Christian workers in foreign lands is striking the proper balance between submission to human governments, which are often antagonistic to the gospel, and obedience to our Lord's command to preach the gospel and teach all nations. In addition to this is the difficulty of balancing the business or humanitarian or educational engagements necessary to remain on a given field 
and the work of the ministry for which the Christian worker went to the field in the first place. My conversation with Eddie Mills today didn't unravel those complexities, but it does help to demonstrate that God is able to carve out a niche where these often competing interests find harmony, providing an opportunity to advance the gospel that only God could create. Brother Mills has operated on certain principles, some of which he spoke of in our conversation today, principles that are rooted in Scripture and that have helped him to cultivate these unique opportunities for ministry in China. But I don't believe that his consistent observance of those principles alone can account for the providential opportunities that have been afforded him. There are elements here that are not easily reproduced. And in the larger work of missions, it should be acknowledged that while we want to be thoughtful and strategic and intentional and principled, there are occasions where God raises up an individual with the right combination of experience and personality and spiritual pluck for such a time as this. And then there's the Lord with the key of David, opening doors that no man can shut. Whenever we witness such a thing, we don't have to figure it all out, but we should certainly praise the Lord for opening such doors and raising up laborers to walk through them. As so many gospel workers in China are struggling to adjust to some of the changes that are afoot in that country, changes that seem to make it more difficult for foreign workers to remain in the country and effectively preach the gospel and plant churches, we do well to pray that the work of IEEA and others like it might continue to prosper and maintain a good rapport with the powers that be. Thanks again for tuning in to today's Great Commission Conversation. If you or someone you know would like to learn more about the summer ESL programs that Brother Mills hosts in Hainan, please send us an email and we would be glad to connect you to Brother Mills. I always welcome your feedback about this or any of our programs. You can contact me, Brother Lee, by email at greatcommissionconversations at gmail.com. Until next time, let's do what we can to preach the gospel in the regions beyond. Thank you.